1: Welcome to episode 377 of the Battery Power podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Sunday, November the 6th, and I am joined by Eric Cole. Hello, sir. Welcome to the podcast. You've been, a, you've been gone for a little while. It's been a lot of me and Scott recently. It's not really the, it wasn't kind of the plan, but it's kind of the way it worked out. And welcome back.
2: Yeah, I had a wedding I had to go to this previous weekend. It just kind of hasn't really worked out for me to be on the pod over the last couple of weeks. Um, but, you know, obviously glad to talk to you about baseball. We actually have baseball news Uh, And Braves news to talk about. So I'm excited about that. Um, There's other aspects of this podcast that I'm less excited about, to be sure. But overall, um, you know, I'm I'm excited to just kind of get back into it because, you know, at the end of the day, I like talking baseball with you.
1: We do have fun talking about baseball, and if you are a new listener somehow in the offseason, we definitely welcome you aboard, and we encourage everyone listening to the podcast to subscribe to the show across platforms. We have multiple podcasts on this same feed covering the Braves in comprehensive fashion. We also encourage you to Read the website at batterypower.com and uh, all that out of the way. Not a ton going on. You know, free agency is now kind of on the horizon. The World Series is officially over as of Saturday. The Houston Astros won the title this year in a kind of predictable fashion, but you know, Philadelphia gave them a run, that's for sure. Um, and basically, what that means is that while the Braves have already been in the offseason for a while, um, now the entire league is, and we're in the uh, sort of the countdown to the free flowing period of free agency. But first, I guess there was one piece of like actual news to hit on, and that is the fact that the Braves had two gold glove winners this week. Dansby Swanson won a gold glove, deservedly so. Max Free won a gold glove as well. Um, Dansby was kind of a lock in my mind. I'm not sure what would have happened if he didn't win because he was basically rated as like the best defender in the National League overall this year. Uh, Did you have any surprise? I know we kind of talked about with Scott and I, like Michael Harris not being a gold glove finalist was kind of silly. But other than that, like this is kind of what I expected for the most part.
2: Yeah, that was the take I certainly had. I was far more surprised with the list of nominees than, you know, than the one, the Braves that actually won, right? Uh, Dansby and Friedberg are very clearly the most deserving of the p- potential options for the Braves. Dansby was great all year long defensively. You know, we can, you know, parse as to, you know, his up and down offensive year and really his kind of up and down offensive career in a lot of ways. But I mean, for a long time, he's been a very, very good defender. and It was a very deserving, you know, honor. Uh, I certainly think that he is among the better defenders in the national league altogether. Uh, but I mean, Michael Harris does not I mean I can understand him not getting it because like Trent Grisham had an insane year out in center field. If you look at a lot of metrics. So I guess I didn't necessarily expect Harris to win it, but him not getting nominated felt really silly to me, especially considering, you know, a lot of nominees from other spots. Uh notably, uh, somehow Juan Soto was a nominee in the outfield, uh, which uh, <laughs> he was. is, fr- uh, you know, which is very, um, feels very reminiscent of when uh, Andrelton Simmons lost out the the shortstop gold glove uh, to Brendan Crawford because Andrelton Simmons didn't hit enough home runs, even though it's not an offensive award whatsoever. So, um, again, it's just kind of one of those things where at the end of the day, the, the process is a little bit weird. They use a weird metric to, uh, you know, account for 25% of the vote and the other 75% is from a very... You know, frankly, fallible voting base. So, I, again, I'm not, I'm not surprised that these are the two Braves that won it. I didn't think that any of the other candidates. I mean, T, I mean, Travis Darno. I mean, he was just never going to beat JT Real Muto, right? Like, it was just never going to happen. So, uh, at the end of the day, I think these were the two that had the that had the the strongest cases. Uh, pitcher is always a weird one, but Freed certainly has a lot of kind of that reputation before him. He's just a good fielder. And he also picks off a lot of guys, which helps. Uh, but the only one I would have been actively upset about if he didn't win would have been Dansby because he was pretty clearly the most deserving shortstop.
1: We are on the same page there. I have no more takes to offer on Gold glove. Congratulations to Dansby and Max Freed for those awards. Other than that, you know, free agency is officially happening now. Um, this is not really a free agent deal, but Edwin Diaz signed the largest deal ever for a leaf pitcher earlier today on this Sunday with the Mets. Now, that's related to the Braves because uh, he's he's on the Mets. Also, the Braves tend to love giving out large relief pitcher contracts, which is also kind of funny to me. But also, the Braves have a um, a free agent named Kelly Jansen that is not going to be in the same stratosphere as Edwin Diaz, but I'm sure his agent will be trying to use that for some leverage. And the Braves also have an expensive incumbent with uh, with Iglesias that that deal looks a lot better now than it did maybe before the Edwin Diaz deal was signed. Um, I don't even have more takes on that, but basically that's just sort of bridging to get into like the fact that free agency is now official. And we're in this five day exclusive negotiating window now where the Braves can talk to their own guys until Thursday night. And then after 5 p.m. on Thursday is the actual free for all. So we're almost there. We're, we're nearing that point anyway.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that despite the Braves weird penchant for giving out fairly expensive reliever deals, uh, the Will Smith deal comes to mind. I'm just going to go ahead and say that it's highly unlikely that they ever give a five-year deal to a reliever. Um, And that's what Diaz got. He was awesome this year. There's no kind of dancing around that. Um, and it certainly helps to have that Cohen money. Uh, you know, he very much wants to make a run at the World Series. And Diaz was one of the better, one of the bigger reasons why they were able to make that run. They at the end of games, he was just, you know, the game was essentially over when he came in. Uh, I certainly think that that helps the relief market quite a bit. It kind of sets the the bar uh, to kind of negotiate down from. Um, again, you know, in terms of like the Braves guys, Kenley coming back was already seemed a little bit suspect to me just because of what payroll looks like in 2023 and what their actual needs are, especially with Iglesias on the team. So I'm certain that, you know, Kenley Jansen's looking at that, you know, that the annual value of that deal and thinking, that he's going to make himself a decent bit of money this offseason. I certainly don't. I think if 18 gives Kenley Jansen a five-year deal, they're certifiably insane. But overall, you know, I'm certainly he's he's thinking that, you know, he's going to do well for himself. But at the end of the day, you know, the biggest thing is just that the Mets solidified their bullpen. They have some other things that they're going to have to fill in because they actually have a fair number of guys hitting free agency this year. But it was certainly eye-opening just to see that that deal for a reliever this early on in the free agent period was kind of wild to me, but beyond that, you know, it's kind of one of those, Hey, it's not my money. So if they want to spend it, then so be it.
1: Yeah. And we could do a whole discussion about the wiseness of those huge reliever contracts. I I tend to think that they're not great investments, but, Uh, the Mets owner has unlimited funds. So that's maybe one of those things that like you might see the Mets, especially uh, post-flame out in the playoffs, get even kind of crazy aggressive. There's been lots of buzz about the – maybe they could just outbid people for whatever, and this might be the first step in that. But it's just a reminder that free agency is now happening, and the Braves do have, of course, the number one free agent on their own roster is Anthony Swanson, of course, number two being Kelly Jansen. And then you get into like Adam Duvall and Robbie Grossman and all those guys. They have, by the way, the same deadline for free agency and the exclusive negotiating window of Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern also extends to the qualifying offer, which I think the Braves are almost certainly going to offer to Dansby. He won't take it, but that's kind of just a procedural thing. And then I I guess in theory they could offer it to Kimley. I I can't see that happening, but uh, nobody else would even have the thought process of getting it uh, just because it's it's a lot of money for a one-year deal. I'm not going to go all the way way into that process right now, but um, just... Just know that if you see the Braves have offered Dan's the qualifying offer, he's not going to take it, and I know that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's 100%. He's not going to take it. I mean, it's a fairly substantial amount of money this year. It's over $19 million, uh, which makes me even feel like it's – and more importantly, Kenley can't get it because he's already been QO. Oh, yeah, he already had it. That's uh, that's my Yes. Yeah, so um th- that's, that's the bigger reason why Kenley can't get it but I certainly don't think that offering Kenley James a the 1-year $19 million deal is a good idea anyway. So it's kind of a moot point regardless. Nope. Um you know, that you know, he was a better more highly regarded reliever when they gave him the $16 million deal. Uh and there was a lot of reasons to be spooked by what we saw in the second half. Uh he he, he kind of finished strong, but at the end of the day is that really what you want to spend on that guy versus the other needs that you have? The answer is probably no. So it's kind of a moot point, regardless, even if he could, even if he was QO eligible, he
1: wouldn't get it. I agree. Um, Other than that, you know, the Dansby stuff feels like a, a daily talking point. We've done a little bit of that on the last couple of shows. There was a report from John Heyman. Hi, John, my close friend, John Heyman. John and I are close on Friday. (laughs) <laughs> that uh, the Braves made an opening offer <laughs> in season to Dansby, and uh, according to him and his sources, said it was in the $100 million ballpark. Um, that, deal, that deal was not enough to get Dansby to sign, which I'm not surprised by. He, he was reporting that he was hearing that Dansby wants to stay in Atlanta. That's kind of typical fare this time of year. Um, I saw lots of discussion about this. Uh, I don't think anyone should be surprised that Dansby didn't take a five-year, hundred-million-dollar offer. That's not going to be an. it's not going to be as much as he gets on the, on the market. I don't think, but I do think that you know we've seen, and maybe you disagree. I, th- I don't think you do, but we'll see in a second um, about the Braves. Like they, they tend to be trying to get these team-friendly deals done, and if they can't get them done, then they don't get them done. And um, I think that would have been pretty team-friendly, uh, kind of no matter where you are on the, on the Dansby spectrum about like whether you want to bring him back and how much you want to pay five for a hundred would be a good value for what he's been recently. And uh, because of that, I don't think he, I think he knows that and, did not, and didn't take it. And I'm sure they'll be talking in the next four or five days and and beyond, but uh, this is kind of a nothing for me. Like there was a lot of discussion because there's not, not, nothing else to talk about, but no one should be surprised that they a made an offer. And also that it wasn't a ton of money in comparison to what he might get.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Braves are always going to make the deal that's going to be the most friendliest to them first, right? Like, you know, just kind of, and we don't know if this was the only offer. We don't know right. what, you know, kind of more informal discussions. Uh, it's also noteworthy that this this report was in, like, kind of a, one of the, like, kind of little info dumps that... Roundup, yeah. He, yeah, uh, and at the end of the day, one thing that kind of stuck out to me is that we don't know this was a five-year offer. Um,
1: and that's true. We, suspect- we, we assumed, I, I think, but something like that. So...
2: And, and I think it's very fair to assume that's what it was because it kind of lines up with what we think the Braves would offer is around $20 million a year. Now, if Dansby turned down a four-year $100 million deal, then that does t- change the tenor of the negotiations and the uh, really kind of the ability to for the Braves to bring him back because if he's turning down $25 million a year – then that might make the Braves less likely. But I, I, I suspect that basically everyone's assumptions, and that's, I mean, this isn't just like this conversation. Everyone kind of assumes that if it was a $100 million deal, you know, extension, that they think it was something around a five, something like a five-year deal. Um, and if that's the case, something I that just feels like kind of an opening offer. Not, I certainly don't think that, it, based on how both sides have talked, so that, you know, no one's offended by that number or anything like that. But, I mean, I mean, there's some pretty big numbers being thrown around about Dansby right now. Uh, a friend of the podcast, Keith Law, uh, <laughs> he mentions that you know he would be at thinking that the Dansby should be commanding as much as thirty million dollars a year, which is, I think, rich for Dansby. But I wouldn't be surprised if Dansby ends up making more money than we suspect, uh, especially if he doesn't sign with the Braves. So you know, he's 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 the the, the off season kind of everything kind of revolves around him at the moment for the Braves. Uh once a decision's made there. And I don't think that this will be made super quickly. I.e. I don't think that during this quiet window that Danby's going to sign with the Braves or anything like that. I think he's gonna kind of test the market. You know, with his agent, I suspect that they're going to at least kind of see what kind of offers they can get and try to put the Braves in the position to either put up or shut up in in his regard. Because if he was, I understand his preference is to stay in Atlanta, but if he was willing to kind of take a team friendly deal on the Braves terms, then he probably, um, frankly, would have taken it already.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the Keith Law thing got a lot of traction as well. And it didn't surprise me that he reported that. And look, like if you just go off of what he did this year, Dansby is worth that and more. But the problem is he's never done that before. That was obviously a career breakout kind of season. Fangraphs had him being worth about $50 million this year. So that tells you how good he was. Um, but before that, he had never been worth $30 million in a season. And um, that's a lot of money. And um, also that strikes me as a deal that you kind of mentioned it there, but that's the kind of deal that a team overpaying to get him out of Atlanta would make. I, I, I will be yeah, pretty I surprised that. if the Braves give him $30 million a year. Yeah. Um, no matter what the context might be, because that seems like a number that they could get someone who all all respect to Dansby is better than him. Like a, that, that gets you into it gets you into Correa or Turner territory versus uh, what Swanson is. I think for the most part, consensus is that he's not as good as those guys. And um, if they want to throw if they want to throw on that kind of money, maybe you do that for a different guy. But um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, two two months from now, if he signs a deal that's worth thirty million dollars a year, I won't fall out of my chair, but I will be surprised if it's with Atlanta at that number. I agree with that. Yep. All right. Let's move on from that and talk about the blockbuster trade that happened today. Eric, it's Sunday, November 6th. The Braves made the first move. Um, They acquire Sam Hilliard from the Rockies, a 28-year-old outfielder who was not great for the Rockies, let's just say, this season. Uh, By all accounts, he's very toolsy. Like, he's huge. He's like 6'5 and 230 and has big power and he can run, but it hasn't worked in the majors To this point, this seems like a bet on tools, but he is 28. It's not like they're they're trading for a prospect. He is uh, not prospect age, but it's basically a, maybe we can fix this guy and get him in our system and kind of buy low on a guy who does have some pretty big tools. Like that's kind of my only takeaway on Sam Hilliard. This does not really impact anybody else, I don't think, on the Rays roster, but maybe you have a different thought than I do on this one, Eric.
2: This just feels like an outfield depth move and a bit of a lottery ticket type. Um, you know, Ivan was talking in our Slack that, you know, if the Braves can teach him how to hit strikes, then he could get very interesting, very quickly. <laughs> that small um, thing, <laughs> but that, 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 that is a, uh, that is a problem. Um, and more importantly, he's had multiple shots in Colorado. Yes. It's not like he, it's not like he's like kind of a minor league journeyman that like just got his opportunity this year. He's had multiple chances at you know, getting a spot on the Colorado Rockies and he has not been able to do anything with those shots. Um, his numbers were good in AAA this year. I will say that, uh, you know, the, the old three, four, six slash line type, you know, whenever you're at 28 (laughs) years old, (laughs) well, well, I mean, well, again, that's, mean, that's, that, that is, that is a fair question. And more importantly, that's why they only had to give up Dylan Spain to get this guy. Right. (laughs) Like, um, you know, in the case of Hilliard, yeah, he has a bunch of tools hitting from the left side. He does have power. Um, it has not shown in the major leagues. And if you're not going to show it in Colorado, I'm not really sure if you're going to show it anywhere, but again, you know, if we get past the problem of he can't hit major league strikes and he can they can somehow figure that out. And you know the, the Braves certainly have some level of confidence in kind of in like you know the kind of the Robbie Grossman example that they feel like that they if they feel like that they have an adjustment that Hilliard could make that could you know turn him into a valuable player. Then I could see him being more than just kind of outfield depth and you know maybe a or like a bench outfielder type. He can play all three outfield spots, which certainly helps. Uh, it also doesn't hurt. It also doesn't help uh, Guillermo Heredia's spot on the roster uh, for a guy who actually has offensive upside, whereas Guillermo Heredia. The, the struggle can be real at the plate with him at times. Um, the, the biggest thing is just that there was no real cost to this. You know, they gave up a former 10th round pick, uh, Dylan Spain, who Garrett is currently mourning the loss of because uh, <laughs> his namesake, Garrett, yeah, his namesake. Uh, he often refers to him as his cousin, even though it's very much not the case. Uh, Spain's a really kind of an interesting story. He went to an open tryout before the draft, he wasn't even playing college ball anymore. Braves guys saw him and they decided he was worth, you know, just throwing an underslot deal at. and you know, we liked him as a relief prospect in terms of when he first got the pro ball. Last year was a bit rough for him. He started a little bit and he did do some relieving, but the command really took a step back and, you know, he's a little bit older for kind of a guy right out of the draft. So this is ultimately not that, I mean, it's just kind of bringing a guy onto the roster and, you know, into the organization and seeing if they can fix him. And if it doesn't work out, there wasn't like a, a huge cost to it at the end of the day. So, you know, again, this there's some, there is some real upside with Hilliard if they can figure him out. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just kind of one of those bring some depth in, bring guys who are interesting into the organization and see what they can do.
1: You said it well there. And uh, RIP to Dylan Spain as a member of the Atlanta Braves organization. If that. yeah, sorry, Garrett. Uh, we'll have more on that if we need to, but that might be the end of that trade discussion for now. All right, but the majority of the podcast, the rest of the way, will be some mailback questions, actually, that we've been sort of stockpiling over the last couple of weeks before we get to those, though, and uh, they are, are pretty interesting, honestly. But before we get to all that, a word from more sponsors on the podcast today.
0: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on surprise, the future of work, questions including what are we missing when we work remotely, or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG pod wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Eric, let us dive into the mailbag. A rare occasion, but it's a good time to do it before the madness actually begins. Um, first question comes from Ace, who says, I may have missed it, but did you ever give your opinion on who should win Rookie of the Year? I think I've seen a 50-50 split, was the question. Um, just for some background here, the finalists should be announced this coming week. Both Special Shrider and Michael Harris, which is the question, basically, are lost to be finalists. The Rookie of the Year actual announcement is November 14th, so about a week from now. And Eric, the floor is yours. Do you have... A strong opinion or even an opinion at all between the candidacies of Michael Harris and Special Strider.
2: So I'm gonna get the first part out of the way. If both of these guys are not finalists, both of them they, have to be in. They got there, there's good th- 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 then the system is just broken. It Agreed. just is. And a lot, there's gonna be a lot of a lot of you know ranting and raving from us and others. These are the two top two.
1: I mean, We're it's yeah. I way. mean, beyond just being finalists, this is a very clear top two. Like, they have to finish, not even just be finalists. They need to be, they need to finish one, two. Like, there's no debate about Correct. that, really.
2: Yeah. If, if Brendan Donovan finishes ahead of either of these two players or anyone else finishes ahead of these two players, again, the system's broken. Scrap it. Try again. Now, that said, going into the final months of the season, you and I talked about this is that my assumption was that I would have picked Spencer Strider going into that final month because just what he was doing as a starter on a rate basis was just something we just don't see very often from rookies or really from pretty much anybody. Um, Just the the, the numbers jumped off the page. And I thought that it was a good final month of the season that he could overtake Michael Harris, but that there is a kind of a built-in bias amongst rookie of the year voting for again, uh, kind of against pitchers and for position players. I mean, Again, Trevor Rogers was very good for the Marlins in his rookie year, and he like lost to a of a, a position player who like maybe put up too war, right? So I'm not. That's not to say that I think that either one's deserving. Kind of going into that month, I just kind of felt like I just liked Strider a little bit more. They were both very deserving. However, unfortunately, Strider was hurt and didn't really it couldn't finish out the month. Whereas Harris did kind of slip a little bit, but that allowed him to kind of get some you know. Some counting stats up more. Uh, The numbers still looked very, very good. I mean, you put up a one thirty eight six WRC plus in your rookie season. That's going to, you know, certainly, you know, get some attention. Uh, Kind of a really well rounded game set too. He had power. He was stealing bases. Uh, He should have been a Gold Glove finalist this year. Overall, I'm just at the end of the day, I think it was already Michael Harris's award to lose just because of how historically this award has been decided. But with Strider missing the last month. As much as it kind of, I don't, I don't even say it pains me. I just thought that Strider was really kind of, in a really good position to potentially uh, make it in, more interesting. But I think at the end of the day, Michael Harris is going to win it. Uh, Spencer Strider will finish second, and both of these guys are very, very good. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter all that much.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's that's all fair. And I'll preface by saying I will not be bothered if either one of them wins. If somebody else wins, it's Agreed. not the right Agreed. decision. Um, I lean Harris. I've kind of always slightly lean Harris but your point at the end was a good one like it's not Spencer's fault but him not being able to keep compiling at the end of the year might have been the final tiebreaker on that and I was always going to lean to position player anyway that's kind of the way I operate unless it's not close and Strider has was incredible I mean you could certainly argue that on a per appearance or per game or however you want to say that basis that he was better than Harris but the fact that Harris just had more opportunity to do more as position player as far as uh, as far as war is concerned, um, they were basically a dead heat in fangraphs. Strider had 4.9 and Harris had 4.8, but um, in baseball reference war, Harris had a very sizable, like, basically, a, like, like a a one and a half lead there. I don't really care about that, but that, that's a notable difference. I think Harris, you know, the full complete profile, the defense, all that stuff. Strider's strikeout stuff was crazy, his 1.83 fip over 130 innings is just outrageous as well. Yeah. But, um, and if he
2: had been able to make like three or four more starts, it, it would have been a lot
1: closer and maybe he'd, yep. maybe he'd gone that way. So yeah, I think, maybe, we're, I think we're, I think we're close on this one for sure. And like I said, I mean, I don't blame anybody for voting for Strider. I think if you just look at the individual excellence of what he was on a per appearance basis, I, I do get that. I think that uh, Harris had to be incredible to make this a race and Harris, I think did that and more. So, uh, we, we, we're in agreement here. The top two is the top two by a lot, but uh, I would lean and would have voted Harris if I had a vote. So Harris won Strider 2, then a giant gap before you get to anybody else <laughs> in the National League. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, all right. Moving on from there, a question. This is actually just ex- almost ex- almost entirely for Eric. Uh, question from Terry who says, who is the most likely prospect to have an impact for the big league club in 2023? And then the follow-up is, if it's a pitcher, who is number one among position players? And if it's a position player, who's number one among pitchers? So this is 2023 only, Eric, not long-term prospect rankings, but who is most likely to be uh, at least somewhat impactful for this coming season?
2: Okay, so uh, as as Brad noted in our notes, this question was basically designed in the lab for me. So I, I will <laughs> – yep. uh, uh, th- and this is actually a pretty straightforward one too. Uh, position players, uh, the answer is pretty clearly, clearly Justin Henry Malloy. Uh, he just had a fairly unsuccessful stint in the AFL All-Star game, but he's performed well down there. He does play left field, which certainly helps the cause going into 2023. That's a position that they could have some need for. Uh, he could play, you know, he could probably play either corner. You could play him at third base if you really, really needed to. I highly would, would not recommend that whatsoever. You know, he ha- he, he can hit for power. Uh, he has a really good approach to the play. He gets on base a whole bunch. And more importantly, he's already kind of, he's at that triple A level. So you would like your chances if you really needed him to, you know, be in a position. I don't know how likely that is, but of, of the options available, he's the most likely by a fairly significant margin right now. Um, for pitcher, I think probably people are going to be expecting me to say Bryce elder, but he's over, he actually exhausted rookie eligibility. He's over 50 innings. So we're not going to concern him here. I still think the answer here is Kyle, Kyle Mueller. Uh, you know, I understand that he hasn't been able to really kind of like stick in that spot. And, you know, there are those who like, look at, you know, a couple starts that he made this year and just decided that he's no longer capable of pitching well, but at the end of the day, I mean, the, the fastball can be live. If he can just can find a way to get some consistent command, I think that he's going to be – he's going to start Major League Games for the Braves, assuming he's not traded for the Braves in 2023. The question is just how many, and that's going to come down to, you know, the consistency of his command. And, you know, that's that's a, that's a fair criticism of him at the moment. And there are other options here. You could look at, you know, you know players like, you know, Freddie Tarnock have to make his debut this year, and then you have guys like, you know, Darius Vines and Jared Schuster—they're—they're both at AAA. I wouldn't be surprised if they have an impact. But if I'm like the guy who I think is the most likely guy to make an impact, uh, even if there is some—you know—some certainly some variance in the outcome in terms of whether or not it works out, I'm going to bet on on Kyle Muller. But there's other guys that could be in the mix too. Uh, Another name is kind of a dark horse name is Dylan Dodd, uh, the the lefty that the Braves was a senior sign in like the third round, I believe, a couple years ago. He is a there he is on the rise as a pitching prospect. He has a bunch of pitches. You know, again, he's getting swings and misses on most of his stuff. The changeup is very, very good. Overall, just a guy that I like a lot. Uh, he hasn't quite gotten to AAA yet, but I would not be shocked at all if he finds himself in the mix in a hurry. Again, assuming that you know he's not including the trade this offseason.
1: Well, there you go. A comprehensive answer. I was going to hold your feet to the fire if you didn't say someone that we didn't already see in the majors, uh, which was of course Mueller, but you went deeper. So I'm, I'm I'll allow it to uh, um, satisfy I'm, the question. I, I,
2: I am nothing, if not a man of the people.
1: You were prepared for for the question. I have no takes, but I, uh, I am intrigued by Justin, uh, because number one, he's a, he's a, he's a local ish product. He played He played, he played Georgia tech. So a recognizable he did. He did. name there. Six round pick, by the way, if you didn't know that, if you're not a prospect, uh, Uh, fluent person but he is uh, a interesting prospect from what i can tell obviously not my area of expertise which is why i asked the question to eric okay uh this is this kind of interesting question um from joseph who says rank these playoff exits in terms of brutality (laughs) and the three options are this year's nlds the 2020 nlcs or the 2019 nlds and the follow-up to this was basically, are any of these of the caliber of 91 or 96? And where is the infield fly game rank, if you had to throw it in there? So first first things first, Eric, rank 2022, 2020, and 2019 in terms of their playoff brutality.
2: Uh, For me, 2022 is actually at the bottom. Um, I just didn't feel like, in the other two series, it felt like the Braves had very, very good chances to win those series. And the Braves were kind of just behind the A-ball from the beginning, and they just felt like that they were both gassed, and, you know, just being outplayed by an like exceedingly hot Philadelphia team that could do no wrong for a while there. And that doesn't feel great. But if you look at, you know, 2020, I mean, you had a 3-1 lead on the verge of the World Series. That's probably number one. You have a 3-1 lead on the verge of a World Series berth. You just had... Uh, I think it was (laughs) – I think Bryce had just outpitched Clayton Kershaw to get that 3-1 lead, and everyone was just out of their mind in terms of, like, wow, this is really going to happen. If Bryce Wilson can beat the Dodgers, anything is possible. Uh, And, you know, the lack of an off day and just – the Braves were very clearly tired. The Dodgers roared back and took that one from them. That's probably number one for me. And series-wise, 2019 was brutal. Individual games, I don't think you'll beat uh, the game five uh, with against St. Louis. Uh, overall, of all of these, of all these, of of all these series, uh, the ten run first inning against the Braves was clearly the most brutal. I I just I left the house. I was just like I'm. I can't watch this anymore. It was awful. I had to, uh, I, had so, had
1: to I had to cover a Hawks home game that night. That was fun. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, <laughs> so if
2: we're talking individual games, game five in 2019 was. So savagely brutal but you know series wise I mean you had a 3-1 series lead over the Dodgers yeah. who were the prohibitive favorites so I'd go 2020 being the most brutal followed by 2019 followed by 2022 I'd, again 2022 certainly didn't feel awesome especially since they had done all that work to finally run down the Mets but at the end of the day it just didn't feel it was it like again just going on my personal feeling uh like after all three of these series and not only was I watching and engaged with all those series, I was covering all three. And I can tell you from my personal experience that 2022 certainly didn't feel awesome. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, 2020 and 2019 were worse.
1: Yeah, 2020 is in a category of its own of these three for me. Like, number one, NLCS, that makes it a little bit more you know high profile. Uh, the 3-1 lead. Is what it is as well. That that's definitely the right answer. Uh The other two, I can kind of go either way. You could argue twenty nineteen wasn't as brutal because it was just kind of over so fast. Like it was no, like nobody had fun, but it wasn't like an excruciating and full game. Like it was just over in in the blink of an eye. It was like twenty minutes, and it was, and it was over.
2: Um, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. That first inning felt like it went for. I'm saying
1: half. you could argue. I'm not saying you have to, you have to have that viewpoint. But uh, you know, at least there's that out there this year. And I, I do think there's probably a study to be done about this, like mentally, um, how we feel about. This year's series, if the Braves hadn't just won the World Series the year before, that always, I'm sure, softens the blow a bit. That They just won the World Series a year ago. Um, as far as the sub-question, um, my personal answer is that none of these are in the caliber of 91 or 96. Um, maybe 2020 is close-ish, but those are World Series, and I've said this many times, but the Jim Laird thing is my second least favorite sports memory behind the Super Bowl.
2: 96 World. was especially bad. Yeah, it was just horrific. That- yeah, it's it's in its own category. If you watch that, if you were just around for that World Series and a Braves fan, then like there are a few worse feelings of the '96, '91. Uh, I mean, I was pretty young back then, but so it's kind of hard to gauge. But this was also kind of like the Braves were just just then kind of coming out of being that was the terrible. it was the
1: it was the first year, and they you know the, the argument there is that uh, they they could have easily won it in six, and then they lose Game Seven in a ten a ten inning one run like one one nothing game like there was it was all just. I was too young to really have the same feeling too, but that's just sick. <laughs> it, it, this
2: is when I be- that that look that series is when I became a baseball fan. Uh, but I also have like a soft spot for the Twins as a result of that game. Um, so it's pretty, it, it's pretty bad, right? Like 91 is pretty bad for me personally. Like ninety six is in kind of a class of its own. We agree. It'll I, I will struggle to feel worse than I did coming off having the world winning the World Series and losing the World Series. a Yankees team I despised in the way that they did was unbelievably brutal and as we found out uh, the Braves would have to wait a while to win another one
1: yeah and just as a refresher if you were either not born or not dialed in at this point in time 96 the Braves won the first two games of that World Series in New York and came home and lost all three including uh, the Jim Lawrence game and yeah, it's coming. It's all coming back to me now, Eric. I'm, not, I'm let's, let's, let's just move on before the darkness sets in. All right, let's, <laughs> life is uh, pain, Bradley. Yeah, let's let's move on. Okay, this one's kind of straight ahead, but also pretty interesting from JJ who says, Who leads the 2023 Braves in wins above replacement? And uh, just to clarify, the question could be either a pitcher or a position player. So, just as a quick recap of this year, um, fangraphs had Dansby at number one. Baseball Reference had Austin Riley at number one. The same top three for both. It was Dansby, Riley, Freed in some order, and then uh, Strider and Harris. Um, realistically, there are probably only like ten candidates for this, uh, unless you count people that are not, not not already on the team. You have Max. Freed. Only ten candidates. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, maybe maybe nine. I, I maybe I guess, I guess the tenth is probably like Travis Arno. Who is actually like number six this year? in A couple of these lists, um, but you know, Freed, Wright, Strider, all capable on the pitching side. Riley, Olson, Ozzy, Harris, Stansby, and Ronald Acuna on the position player side. Are we missing anybody there that you think could realistically actually full on lead the team in WAR that's not on the team already? I should say.
2: No, that seems like a very like a good list of that's got to be like, it, right? In terms
1: of yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like I, I can't, it'd be I can't really, really see, weird if they went with us. Yeah, I, it would have to be. Contreras, like maybe a situation where Darno gets hurt or something and Contreras has to catch 120 games and is like the best catcher in baseball. Like, I think he's probably the answer if you want to pick someone that's not on this list or like either like Charlie Morton gets in a time machine. I mean, those are the kind of the only two guys I could even possibly see it, see doing it. But Catcher, just it's just hard to do that. And Morton's going to be 40. So, like, probably not. So, yeah, nine guys, maybe. And again, they could sign. Carlos Correa, or they could trade for Shohei Otani or something. But yeah. um, do you do you, have, do you have a prediction, Eric?
2: So weirdly, if it is a pitcher, I actually think it would be Strider, just because I agree. Of the way, he, <laughs> the, way he, the way he the way he pitches is like you know just cranks up war in general. Well, That's, he led he, like a, he
1: led the team this year in in per inning war as a pitcher.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he you know makes all the starts next year and is striking out. Well, you know 11 or 12 guys a game then you know that's gonna be pretty tough to beat that's kind of you know getting into that the grom um, prime scherzer territory in, in terms of war and it wouldn't mean yes it would shock me if that happened but at the end of the day he has that he, he's capable of that type of stuff you know free just kind of more of a, feels like you know like on a good year he'll you know you know five or six war you know i was gonna say is, so by the way.
1: It's, it's, that's really good go I, I i, I pull this up just to your point uh max had a, just a truly outstanding season this, this year, right? Like he had 30 starts. His ERA was 2.48. He was worth five fan graphs for this year. That's a heck of a season. And it's not like he can't be better than that. Like he could be, but not by that much. Like he's not going to strike out 13 guys per nine. Like he's not going to put up a 250 strikeout season like Strider does. Like maybe he could throw a few more innings that he did this year. Uh, Talking about max, but I think realistically his ceiling might be six wins, maybe seven. And I think yep. generally speaking uh,
2: 7 to be real tough for him. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, and that's being really on the high side, I think probably six is more realistic. And I think someone from the position players would probably beat that whether it's Ronnie having a full on Ronnie season or Harris fully breaking out again, or Riley, you know, having his hot streaks kind of land better this year, et cetera. I, I think that free could do it, but I'm actually with you. I think the guy with, clearly the most war upside for a single season. It's got to be Strider of the pitchers.
2: Yeah. Amongst the pitchers. Now that said that that's just hard to bet on uh, just to be frank in terms of a pitcher doing it. I I do think that Strider will put together a really good year next year, but uh, I'm willing to be proven wrong on this, but I think Ronnie is going to be awesome next year. And at the end of the day, he just brings so much to the table in terms of this type of calculation uh, with, you know, whether his power with his legs, just every way that he impacts the game, you know, just how much damage that he does on a night-to-night basis when he's fully healthy is hard to bet against. So, I mean, and again, I'm not going to be like shocked or surprised if like Matt Olson has a great year. He was, he, you know, defensively, he can give you some little value there too. Uh, you know, if Dansby comes back, he's you know he could be right there in the running again. You know, Michael Harris, if he has a great year, that like there's a bunch of guys who can do it. Austin Riley is is right there as well. If he you know goes wild again, he could be an MVP candidate. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think that the one time we're hitting close to 300 uh, may have already passed, but at the end of the day, you know, he's the guy that can put up some real numbers, but the most likely and the, the guy that I would bet on to lead the team in more would be right, would be Ronald. So that's what,
1: yeah, I, I had a feeling you were going to do that. it would have been my answer. I think it still is my answer. So I will give my number two answer and that would be Michael Harris.
2: Yes. I uh, like that because he, he gives you defensive value. Because of the too, defense, exactly. Him. I mean,
1: that, that's what happened with Dansby this year. Dansby led the team in Fangraph's war this year because of his defense. Like, he obviously had a good season offensively, but Harris is capable of having a, you know, one of those years defensively where he just, he gets three wins on defense alone kind of thing. And Riley can't do that. Ronnie probably can't do that in his in his playing the playing a corner. Um. So I think that Harris has, you could argue Harris might have the highest upside of all in terms of single season war because of the defense. Maybe, maybe, um, yeah. I think it might be Ronnie still. It probably is Ronnie still because of the bat. Like I think, you know, I, I'll be surprised if Michael Harris's best offensive season is the same as Ronald Acuna's best offensive season in his career. But when you throw in the defense, uh, I would probably lean to Michael too. But I think we agree. Ronnie has the uh, high upside if he is healthy. So hopefully he is. Um, all right, moving on. And we have only a couple more here and then we'll get out of here on this Sunday evening. But this one comes from Casey who says, will the Braves be NL East favorites as in betting favorites, when the season starts. And, of course, the natural caveat is that a lot can change. We talk about the Mets already spending a lot on Edwin Diaz. Um, As of this week, our friends at Westgate Las Vegas, Jeff Sherman, great odds maker, put out the 2023 World Series odds before the World Series was, was even over, and the Braves were only behind the Dodgers in all of baseball in World Series odds. They actually had better odds than the Astros, the Yankees, et cetera. The Mets were right behind them. Um, Philly has some intrigue coming off of the playoff run they had. But uh, Eric, it's kind of a prediction of like what's going to happen to the Mets. Because I don't think unless something crazy happens, the Phillies will enter the season as a favorite to win the National League East. They they certainly could be capable of doing it, but it seems like a two horse race. Uh, So it's almost like asking you to predict Steve Cohen's movements. I'm not going to make you do that, I guess. But I guess I I am. Maybe I am going to make you do that, Eric. Who's going to be favored by the time? It, 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 It does
2: feel like it. I, I am actually going to say that the Braves are going to be favorites. I think that they're going to sign a Densby or better shortstop.
1: All right, there you go.
2: And, and if that's the case, that there's just, you know, they, they have what one rotation spot. That's a question mark. The, the bullpen looks great. The lineup up the, I mean, the up and down looks great. The, the issue that the Mets have in terms of this is just they they have some guys that are, Already leaving in free agency. So they have to like get back to zero with production. And they got a lot out of some players that I don't necessarily think that they're going to get next year. So, uh, particularly on the pitching side. So I'm skeptical that they will look as good on paper as the Braves will. Now, that said, I will not be surprised if the Mets just spend like giga money. And all of a sudden have a roster that looks like the Dodgers. Uh, Now it's hard for them to do that though, just because they have some, they already have money on the books and, you know, lining up that with who's available on the free agent market. I just don't know. I mean, what they go out there and they spend a ton of money on Aaron judge or, you know, what, what do they have to do to make that team better and look better on paper? You know, they they have to have Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom both under contract and healthy uh, and pitching well. I think that Vegas might be a little bit skeptical of all that stuff happening. So I think the Braves will be favorites, but I expect it to be close. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked if, again, if the Mets just spend a ton of money and were, are able to basically gobble up a bunch of upgrades in free agency that this would happen. But they, there's just... In, the problem with free agency isn't just, you know, how much money you're willing to spend. It's, you know... If it's close, then guys start looking at, you know, like states and tax brackets and where they prefer to live and all this other stuff. So I don't think it's as simple as just, you know, the Mets are willing to spend the most money, so they'll be the favorites. I think that what the Braves have done really, really well is just that they have this young core. It is under contract for a while, and they just don't have that many holes to fill, whereas the Mets are have to get back to, get back to zero, you know, before they can kind of start making a claim for the NL East crown. I mean, this, this Mets roster was quite good. And some of the, some of their better players are leaving and they still lost the vision. So I'm I'm not super bullish on that. Uh, I'm interested to see how it plays out, but at the end of the day, I think the Braves are going to be favorites, but I think it's going to be slight.
1: Yeah, I think we're on the same page. Uh, the Mets could certainly do it. Uh, is, the big thing is if the Braves, sort of follow through on what they have said publicly. Terry McGurk has said this on the record now, basically that they're going to be a top five payroll. If the Braves have a top five payroll, they will be favored to win the division. I'm fairly sure. I agree with that. Because that means to your point, let's say for some reason they decided to kind of punt on shortstop and go with Vaughn Grissom that they would realign that money to the outfield if they were going to do that and make a big splash in the corner. You know what I mean? Like they, I can't see the Braves just, you know, punting on shortstop and left field. And if you throw in everything else, barring injury, like they don't have a lot of other fo- not a lot of other holes to fill. So with that and the incumbency advantage of winning it this year, um, they're favored right now, which does matter in the, over the course of a betting market and all that stuff, like them already being favored right now before stuff happens is an advantage too in terms of who's actually favored. Does this actually matter also? Not really, <laughs> but it was the question. So we're going to answer it. And I think the Braves are uh, likely to be the favorite as long as they don't just like totally go against what they've said so far and like cut payroll, which they won't do. I don't think so here we are. Eric. They were uh hopefully be favored. And that means hopefully they win again. That'd be nice. Um, that one, be nice. one last question. And it's uh, in keeping with our mailbag tradition when We only do like three 40s a year, but we also have to end with something that's not baseball related. And this comes from Bobby. Who says this is a non non-baseball, non-baseball question but if you ever need it for the mailbag? What was your favorite non-baseball thing to watch this year? And I am going to add on to Bobby's question by saying non-sports instead of non-baseball, because if it's non-baseball, I watch a lot of basketball. So I can't really uh I can't include that. Uh I made some notes on our on our document about my list, but I want I want to give it to you uh, to you first, Eric. What was your favorite thing non-baseball that you watched so far in 2022?
2: That's wild. Um
1: so, do you watch anything? I, I, You're a parent, and I'm not. No,
2: so. <laughs> no, no, well, no, I do. I do. I don't. I don't watch a lot. I am very much at the mercy of my children in a lot of respects in terms of what they like to watch. I will say, uh, I did like the remake of Dune. Uh, I did enjoy watching that. That was good. Um uh, I, I, that's one of those things that I just really enjoyed watching on like the biggest screen I could find. You know, uh, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a reasonably well done. I have. A, I have a lot of affection for the, the source material. Um, I, I was not a fan of the the one that came out in whatever it was, like the early '80s, that <laughs> was kind of almost comically bad in a lot of ways. um But uh, I enjoyed watching that, uh you know. And I have a, like kind of just like a general, I like watching rewatching old series that I liked a lot. I was a lost fan. I did my absolute best to do some rewatching of that this year, but the the pain was relived as I got later on in that. Um, I do like the Mandalorian. Uh, I think it's a great show uh, in terms of just, you know, I, again, I'm I'm not sort of a, a diehard Star Wars guy uh, and I haven't had a chance to watch and- Andor yet, but I think that, you know, like Mandalorian wise, it just kind of was a lot of fun to watch in terms of just kind of expanding that universe a bit. So like, those are kind of the two big things that I've, I've watched that are relatively new, um, which was the, which was Dune uh, and um, the Mandalorian. But beyond that, you know, I like the, I think that I kind of really do like watching, like rewatching old shows and things like that. Do a lot of rewatches of, you know, Parks and Rec and, you know, The Office and all of that. So that's kind of where I'm at in terms of stuff that I watch. Unfortunately, like my kids generally co-op what we watch. Them.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you the TV is not your own in the way that mine is, uh, for the most part uh quickly my answer uh, I am actually not a huge Star Wars guy but I am really enjoying Andor you mentioned Andor I I love Andor so fascinating.
2: Okay, it's, okay, okay it's
1: very very good I really enjoy that uh I liked the bear quite a bit uh on Hulu that was excellent I like the dropout as well on Hulu uh I think my actual answer is Top Gun Maverick that movie rules <laughs> that came out this interesting. year interesting it was awesome I didn't realize that was, I didn't know so, that was kind of be your team it's so much fun man like uh obviously it's not like the most like you know, sophisticated film, but uh, it was, it's quite, it's quite a lot of fun. Just, uh, I remember my friend and uh, podcast co-host and other places and colleague on on the written side, Robbie Calland, Saw it before I did, It basically just like came out of the theater, was just like screaming the word "planes" to me over and over again because he was so excited. <laughs> just planes, planes. I can, I can
2: imagine Robbie's um, voice. Actually, it was
1: incredible. So. Um, so yeah, all that's all that said. I, I liked I liked Cooper my Maverick, but yeah, I watch a lot of sports. That's the at the end of the day. I, to to quote you and your in your catchphrase at the end of the day, Eric, um, I like sports, so I watch a lot of sports. Sports. Um, okay, I'm clearing out now. Uh, I think people have probably seen this on some level on Twitter or somewhere else. But uh, Eric has an announcement that he has to make on this podcast. I'm going to make him make it and uh, and team up here. We, w- we won't do this every time uh, moving forward. Uh, I'm not going to make you talk about this beyond this moment, Eric, but uh, Eric has an announcement for our podcast listeners.
2: I hate you so much.
1: So um, listen, you, you have to say it at some point on the, on the air. I, the know,
2: I know, I know, I oh, know. and it's, it doesn't mean I hate it any less. So Uh, I did make the announcement on Twitter and uh, as well as over on Tomahawk Take is that um, at the end of the month, uh, which is the month of November, if you're listening in the future, uh, I will be leaving Battery Power. Uh, I would, you know, it'd be kind of, it'd be great podcast drama if I, you know, if we just, you know, I talked about, you know, like all the reasons why I wanted to leave Battery Power and, you know, I feel like I'm moving on the greener pastures. And to be frank, there's just none of that whatsoever. I love it here at Battery Power. I love Chris and Brad. I love my minor league staff, but there, uh, you know, uh, it was a little over a week ago that I was approached with an opportunity to take over as site expert at Tomahawk Take, uh, which is Fansided's, uh affiliate blog. And I frankly did not expect those negotiations to go the way they did. Uh, I was made an offer that I kind of felt like I couldn't refuse. Talked a lot to about with Chris about it and with just other people, just kind of, you know, what their thoughts were. And at the end of the day, you know, one of the the problems for me is that I've been around for a long time. I've been with battery power, uh, formally talking chop since 2015. And I am exceedingly proud of what the site has grown to the way it is now. It's, I think it's the best brave site on the internet. And, you know, that will, my opinion on that will not change once, you know, this month end runs out and, you know, I will only be affiliated with Tomahawk Take, I I feel like it's the gold standard. And one of the reasons that it is the gold standard is because our boss, Chris Willis, is exceedingly, exceedingly good at his job. And at the end of the day, the job that I would really want is his. And I am fully confident that I will never get it. Um, At the end of the day, I think he's going to, you know, do a ton of great things over here. And as a result, I had to think a little bit about what I was going to grow into in terms of my career writing. And, you know, was I going to be, you know, continue just to kind of be the deputy site manager here at battery power. And I decided that in between the, the what was a, a very generous offer combined with, you know, just wanting to be able to kind of grow my own brand and kind of just, you know, be able to run my own site, uh, which is something that I've, I've thought a lot about in the last few years that I decided to take the opportunity um, and everyone here at battery power has been supportive. I was dreading posting the Slack message that I did uh, to kind of let everyone know what was going on. And I found nothing but support and congratulations from everybody. Uh, Garrett certainly, you know, ragged me a little bit uh, <laughs> saying that I was abandoning him and, you know, there's a little bit of picking, but most of it was just, you know, there was a lot of love. So uh, at the end, I will be finishing out my time at, battery power this month so uh, you know if i'm just doing the quick math of based on weekends we did the podcast there's at least one more podcast appearance uh in for me as a member of the battery power masthead i will say that i've talked to brad and i said basically whenever he wants me to come back on the pod if he needs me if he needs a break whatever i am happy to come back Uh, again i'm as of right now i'm probably not going to be podcasting for at least a little while while i kind of get my feet under me over at tomahawk take uh that's this week has certainly been a bit of an adventure doing that so yeah, I'm maybe taking a little break from kind of my own personal content. Um, the Road to Atlanta branding is coming with me, but uh, I'm certain there will be a minor league podcast in some form or fashion on the feed after this month. I, but at the end of the day, you know, these are some of my best friends in sports, uh, you know, between Brad and Chris and all these folks. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of having, still having a great relationship with them and, you know, c- continuing to make guest appearances on the pod. I, I mean, I have to make fun of Brad at least. You know, every once in a while, just to kind of let them know I'm still around. Uh, you know, picking on Scott certainly helpful too, and I don't want to. I don't want to that to just all go away. And I think that you know, with all of us existing in this same space for as long as we have, I think. I think that you know, regardless of what sites we are at, that I, I think that this certainly isn't goodbye. Uh, that you won't. I'm, not, I'm certainly not disappearing from the internet or anything like that. But you won't see my work uh, after this month over on Battery Power. Uh, I do have a, the kind of the, the player review project on specifically on the minor league side that we're finishing up. And I definitely didn't want to leave until that was done because I felt like that would just put the site in a bad spot going into the offseason. So we're gonna fin- I'm going to finish out that project. I'll still be around on the podcast as needed. But after November, I am officially no, mem- no longer a member of the Battery Power Masthead. And I'm certainly sad about that. Uh, it's bittersweet but I'm also really excited about the opportunity that I have over at Tomahawk take. So if you, you know, if you're wanting to check out and see what we're doing, make sure you go over there and see what we're doing. It's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. No more, no more promoting Tomahawk take on this podcast, Eric. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's a uh, shameless plug
2: TomahawkTake.com. We, we
1: are sad. Uh, we're sad. That's happening. Also happy for Eric. Uh, for sure. I said that to him privately and I will now say it publicly. We do uh, highly value what Eric has been, uh, meant for the site and this podcast and, uh, I'm fairly sure Eric has been on this podcast feed the most uh, between Eric and I. We should we should we should have counted this. I don't know who has been on more between you and me, even uh, because of Road to Atlanta appearances. Uh, so, oh, it might it might even so be, not, you. I'm, might I'm, even be you at this point. So I'm, I'm not sure. It's, like, it's going to be close. I'm, I'm
2: I'm in the 90s for Road to Atlanta. So how many Carlos only? Or like lack of bread podcast headset there's no no
1: maybe I mean, not I think I probably still have the edge but you definitely have number two by yeah. yourself so uh that's, I feel that's, pretty good about that but yeah that's I'm, I'm less that speaks confident about itself. beating you <laughs> that speaks for itself uh again we'll have uh I I'm confident I'll have Eric on the show again in the future for guest appearances and things and we uh we Honestly, one of the one of the gifts has been that I haven't had to go find guests like I used to have more guests on the show. And then we kind of got in this groove where uh, with Eric and Scott kind of rotating and um, we haven't we need to go outside the family um, very often, which is a nice thing for me. And I have to go book guests and things. And uh, Scott is going to be doing more podcasting, I think. I think he knows that at this point. But uh, Eric will be back, I'm sure in the near future and uh, certainly wish you all well, my friend. I appreciate uh, all of what you've done already and uh, we will be talking. So no more of this mushiness on the podcast feed, except for the fact that I have to say the Buffalo Bills lost today. And that's the other team that you like yep. in sports. So uh, on that I else. don't want to talk about it. I don't to want
2: to end talk the, about it. I, I, made,
1: I, made, I made fun of Scott last week about the Colts having a collapse. Uh, I'm a Falcons fan and they implode in spectacular fashion today. It's just what happens. Uh, it's a Sunday in, in November, but uh, Eric, thank you my friend for all that you've done on this show and that you will do in the future and uh all of what you've you know have done on this podcast in particular this episode because we've talked for an hour or or so about something having to do with baseball in November. so here it is uh, i also want to thank everybody for, for sending sending email that questions i do appreciate all that too um eric any final words like you said you'll be, you'll be back again soon so we're not gonna have to do like the whole sign off thing but uh
2: if you if you could please just stop trying to trade Ozzy Albies and you know obviously oh, l- listen that's, that's,
1: we're uh we're gonna have some uh some review content with regard to the positions and all that stuff if you don't think I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my uh, my 17 point plan on Ozzy going to shortstop we have not been talking enough so Ozzy uh, sleeper shortstop option has uh, so, still from on brand
2: Red, Red and remains on you, brand
1: you might think that uh, if sort of the cheap option for the branded shortstop is to go to Vaughn Grissom my hair idea is to go to Congress on at second base and dance and Ozzy uh, and Ozzy H road So I'm kind of kidding. Well, I'm, I'm also kind of not, but anyway, Eric, thank you for being here. Please plug yourself. Not, not your other site that you're running now, but plug yourself. Just kidding. Again, uh, I have to just give you grief. It's, it's part of the deal at this point in time, but, uh, at Absolutely. Leprechaun with a K, correct?
2: At, at Leprechaun with a K. Uh, and again, the big thing on the minor league side is that we're going to be rolling out the, uh, the, the minor league side of the player reviews, the player review side of both the major and minor league side is going to be rolling out, I think, starting this coming week. I think uh, so. I That's said-
1: what I heard recently anyway, but there will be plenty of written content. I do a bad job sometimes highlighting the written content, but there is a ton already on there, and it will be on there. And uh, one more plea at the end of the podcast is to subscribe to the show. You get all of our content, uh, not just the main show, but you know the Daily Hammer, etc., all on the feed. And uh, do that for the price of $0. Subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. Follow Eric on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter if you want to, at BT Roland. And with all that said, we'll see you later on this month. Buckle up. It's going to get pretty interesting in a hurry, I have a feeling. So uh, stay tuned. We'll see you next time.